On this episode of Industry Relations, we talk about MLS, Web API, Rezo, brokers and vendors, and why we think Sam DeBoard needs an axe. This is Industry Relations, a podcast that's at the intersection of real estate and technology from an insider's perspective with Rob Hahn and Greg Robertson. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Industry Relations with Rob and Greg. This is your co-host, The Notorious, Rob Hahn. And with me is my co-host, the fabulous Greg Robertson. <laughs> Hola, Rob. Hola. <laughs> I'm liking this moniker. Uh, I, I, look, fabulous. I just jazz hands. For those I people know. who are listening, I'm doing jazz hands while we sing. <laughs> so people are listening. Y'all need to come check out the YouTube so you could see, uh, you know, Greg Robertson do the jazz hands. And since we hit our subscriber number, we actually have a channel. I think yeah, it is. Right youtube.com slash industry relations podcast something like that yeah we should know know that maybe maybe we should know that we should probably know that but i don't know go find us uh but in any event uh good to see you it looks like uh, southern california like a a week at home has done your world of good a little bit i mean not traveling and not drinking every night has, has done me a world of good so yeah but uh speaking of traveling every night and drinking every night we have another you know, veteran of the convention circuit. With us today is our special guest. Let's bring in Mr. Sam DeBoard. How are you, Sam? How you doing, fellas? Doing good. Well, he, he you, actually goes to them and he, and he hosts them. He hosts conferences. That's right. He even yeah. puts on conferences. A little of both. Yeah. yeah. And uh, how long have you, how many days have you been home now? Well, almost a week now. Um, <laughs> but I think I had about the same schedule as Greg because I was out with the family on vacation for a week, which Disneyland is not exactly a vacation on your body. Um, and then we did three weeks of conferences in a row, slightly different. But yep. it was a, it was quite a month. So um, yeah, you've got to got to get some of those veteran practices in to make through that sort of a, a road trip. You thought, like, I, figured kids, out, right? I figured it out that I was in actually every time zone because I yeah. went from Honolulu to New York, to Tucson, to uh, San Antonio. Yep, yep. I think I skipped one time zone because when you went to San Antonio, I went to DC. But it was, um, yeah, that takes a toll on the body. Yeah. And and you've got three kids, right, Sam? Three kids, yes. Three, yeah, so I just want to point out vacation with three kids is not a vacation. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> vacation with kids, at water parks and amusement parks is um it's fun for the kids let's put it that way yeah exactly <laughs> hey did you try out any of those uh, mexican restaurants i gave you uh uh some uh pointers on or recommendations when you're down here or was that was that another trip ago uh that was probably a, a previous trip um this trip was get up at 5 30 a.m hit mcdonald's and get in line at the park yeah. so there was not a lot of that time yeah yeah, yeah. Jesus Christ. All right. So uh, we were requested, actually, <clears throat> that um, given that the three of us are sort of convention uh, veterans, uh, how should someone go about surviving like a three, four day conference? And, you know, given that our our shows like literal tagline is don't go hard on the first night. I thought we would start with you, Sam. Like, what's your what's your tips for, how, you know, making the most out of like a multi day industry conference? Yeah, I, I think as an attendee, your um, your uh, philosophy here is pretty critical there. Um, a lot of folks show up with a lot of excitement on the first night at a conference. So they're in a new city. Some of them only maybe travel once or twice a year. Um, so they can certainly overdo it on the first night. So 
you find yourself a good excuse to uh, make your way in and get a dinner and not uh, necessarily always be a part of that. I think all of us earlier in our careers were um, out too late and up too early at a lot of events, but you got to pace yourself. It's a marathon. Um, and then certainly when you run your own conference, it's a whole different story. You're finding yourself ways to uh, avoid the late night events because you're actually supposed to be on point when you come in and uh, make sure your attendees are having a great time. So two very different experiences there. Yeah, that's true. Greg? Yeah, I mean, I'll give full credit. Um, the saying, don't go big on the first night, was actually originated by Michael Hayes. And uh, I just started doing it over and over again. But I think that's that's it's been great advice, and it's always been repeated back to me whenever I go out. Um, I think, you know, a couple things I'll mention about conferences. The Inman News did a little story um, where they were asking people, hey, what's the most unusual thing that you put in your suitcase going to a conference? And I answered, um, workout clothes. And uh, that has uh, got a big laugh. And people will remind me of me saying that a long time ago. But that's always been a key. People have been saying, oh, you got to keep a workout schedule going on. I, I don't subscribe to that. But many people <laughs> tell me that that helps them out a lot. Um, and then, you know, what I've been trying to do, not with, with limited success is, um, well, I'll give two things. Is the last night, because you've got to go back home. Right. So you got to go back to my, I got to come back to my wife, my three kids. They haven't seen you for, you know, three or four days. And, you know, of course, when you get back home, they want to let's go out. Let's go out, daddy. Let's go out. And you've been out, you know, the past three. You, know, you just want to stay home and have a home cooked meal. Right. Um, so kind of less than the last night. I mean, you go, don't go big the first night. Don't go big the last night. I don't think people are going to follow that. But that's one thing. And then the second tip I would say is uh, I try to keep the same, you know, well, you know, let's just take wine out of it, but just the same drink through the whole thing. Just my constitution is gin. So I just, I stick with gin. I've been trying, I've been experimenting lately, but mostly it's just gin, just all the way through. That Greg introduced me to a cocktail called the Shaken Baby, and I've enjoyed gin more ever since that. Um, so it's a, it's a pretty consistent thing there. On the exercise, you know, I have had a couple conferences where we had some really important things to get done, and I did actually exercise every morning. Um, you've got to get out of the late night events to make that happen, but um, that is not the, the usual conference. There's usually just not time to make that happen. But, hey, you might feel good about putting some jogging shoes and a T-shirt and shorts in your bag. Ah, it just takes up room. Just takes up room, but uh, all right. So I guess, well, I'll, I'll see if I could. I have so many thoughts, but uh, number one, I think you need to you need to figure out what it is you want to get out of the conference. Right? And my experience is, you very rarely get anything out of the sessions, which is why I think uh, Greg and I talk about this all the time. The lobby con is where the action is, right? You know that. The most valuable things you're going to get out of most of these industry gatherings are the informal hallway conversations, the meetings in the lobby bar. So, you know, I think the tip with that is sometimes people get real earnest and like, I have to go to this, you know, whatever speaker and hear them speak. And then they run off to the room and do work or whatever. I'm like, nah, it's the other way. Run off to the room where there's speaking going on and then come back when it's in between because chances are the real valuable stuff going to get away, get out of any event any gathering are going to be the spontaneous meetings hallways lobby bars you know that sort of thing um so from that standpoint i actually think it's important to go out you know uh but so here's sort of my thing on this i think you break it down by decades right if you are in your 20s you probably <laughs> want to go out 
and go hard. However, if you're in your 20s, chances are you have a boss and you are at an event for a specific reason, like you're brought along to help with your company's booth or whatever. So it's a job. It's a professional trip. It's not meant for you to just go party, right? However, when you're in your 20s, you want to meet as many people as possible, make those connections that's going to help you. So you do want to go out, just be judicious about, about that. In your 30s, I think that's when you got to start thinking about don't go hard on the first night. But again, you got to go out because the whole point is to build those networks and make friendships and nothing quite does that like drunken karaoke. Uh, so there's that. And then once you hit your 40s, man, you know, then you got to you got to back off <laughs> at that point. You're a grown ass man, grown ass woman, you know, uh, well, I would say I, in, the, in your first one there. I mean, I, I always like, you know, I like to catch the keynote. You know, I, I think sure. you know, when you go to like uh, Inman, I love, I, I always love catching Brad's keynote. He kind of sets the tone and those kind of keynotes kind of resonate throughout the years. I mean, you know, everybody talks about that latte vision, you know, right talk he had you know sam will he'll kick off an event you know stefan will kick off with a a big interview or something so i i i don't think you know i'm not gonna i'm not gonna hit every session but there are some some ones on there that i, I do de definitely want to catch um when they're on there um i think it's also good to have a wingman i know oh, sure. um you know i would i would have my wingman and, and we would have different um you know visual clues like hey come over here and save me and get me out of this damn conversation, right? Um, whether it's touching your ear or some sort of code that they know to do that. Um, and uh, you're exactly right. I mean, you know, finding the perfect spot to, to hold court at the lobby bar is a, is a good, you know, finding that right seating connection and, and grabbing that is a good thing as well. Yeah, very, I think that's important. the, uh, you know, the focus of, since we're being serious now, um, you know, being intentional about why you're there um figuring out the sessions you're going to go to beforehand figuring out the people you really need to meet with and some of those will be scheduled um i was talking to somebody in tech who said i went to one of your conferences and you guys do it all wrong like you're just standing around in the lobby waiting to meet people um you should have 10 meetings a day set up because you're still going to meet people at the bar later um and i think there's a mix of that there are definitely midday meetings where you find out you know interesting things about what a company's doing meet new partners so you kind of have to have a mix, but you've got to know that you're going in and you're not subject to the calendar of the event. You should go to what's going to be useful for you, but schedule intentional meetings, but also be there to spend that time uh, in the lobby, at the bar, whatever it happens to be. Um, as, as you said, you meet some of your strongest friends in the industry at those events, and sometimes they're late night um, and... That's, that's where you get introduced to people. That's where people sometimes tell you things that are um, maybe they wouldn't tell you uh, in the middle of the day at an official meeting. So there's value that, in that. But that's part of it, man. I mean, I see some of the vendors especially will go to a conference. They'll have like meetings back to back to back to back to back, right? And it's all pitches yeah. and sales. I'm like, nah, I get it, man. Like that's why you're there. And But fact is, chances are those meetings aren't going to result in the type of sort of deepen relationships it's, you're almost better off leaving a couple hours in the middle of the day to have some you know sort of like uh spontaneous get-togethers right uh that that's all i meant by it like yeah i know some people are gonna really be like sorry i can't really talk i gotta run to my next meeting like okay cool i get it chances are that meeting was just talking about whatever product you've got and you're pitching to a potential client you know you're almost better like do those obviously because you got to that's your job 
right? But it's leaving a little space where you have some time and you just see somebody from across the, the lobby and like, we haven't talked in a while. You know what I mean? Like, and then just be able to, I think that's, for me, if I walk away from a, like a three-day event and I feel like I have one like really good meeting, like in depth or, you know, got to know somebody better, like really in depth, I, like that's successful, right? And it doesn't matter that I had half a dozen other meetings that, you know, sets the stage for the next Zoom call or whatever. Like that's, that's cool. That's going to happen no matter what. There's, so. Yeah, there's somebody at that conference who's been waiting to pull you aside and tell you something and they've just been too yeah, busy yeah. and they haven't gotten yeah. around to it and it might be someone really important <laughs> to your business or just yeah, you yeah. personally and you've got to make yourself accessible yeah. there. All right. So hopefully that is of some utility for people who can't, you know, sort of tune in. But in terms of all the utility, you just finished your conference, uh, Sam, and I think you had some announcements and some cool things you wanted to discuss and have us pick at. Yeah, pick at. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it was an exciting week. Um, you know, this is something that our membership and our, our staff have been working on for a long time. And so we've just released the Reso Analytics platform. Um, so this is certification reporting, but basically real estate data reporting for the whole industry. And it's going to bring a kind of a whole new level of transparency um, for the industry. So to give a little background, and we're not going to get technical here or anything, um, but just to kind of give, you know, industry folks a way to think about this. You know, we're talking about this platform in comparison to, you know, when folks go car shopping, they need to have some objective measures. Maybe they love the look of a Dodge or a Ford or a Chevy. Um, they love some features, but they want to know what's the fuel efficiency, what miles per gallon does it get, what's its top speed, what are its towing capacity. These are things that we take for granted that you can measure in an objective way across vehicles and, um, and make value judgments, make decisions about the information you have on those vehicles. Um, we haven't really had that in the real estate industry for real estate data systems, particularly MLS-related software systems. Um, there's a lot of good products and they've got great interesting features and you can get demos um, with the vendors, but there wasn't really a way to compare across those systems what um, the capabilities and the data sets look like. Um, and that's that's been a frustration for our member organizations. Um, as if people don't know, Riso um, does the data standards and processes to create efficiencies in the industry. And our members are MLSs, brokerages, technology vendors, really sort of spanning um, most of organized real estate there. And all those organizations have been a part of this process and saying, we need to build a platform where we can objectively measure and report on what our data systems do um, so that our consumers of these technology systems will be able to make better decisions, better informed data-driven decisions. So, um, you know, you think of when we talk about data consumers, which are really the um, the North Star for Reso, is that your standards and processes make experiences better and more efficient for data consumers. And, and that's not just brokers and aggregators and their vendors, which are huge consumers of data and big supporters of Reso. It's MLSs themselves. MLS executives and staff buy technology. They manage technology, but they buy it from vendors in most cases. Um, and in many cases now they have multiple different vendors doing similar things. So they may have three different web API vendors. And this is just the way they output data from the MLS to their brokers and their other vendors. And, and they are data consumers as well in that case. Um, so this platform's at certification.reso.org. Um, right now, all you're gonna see is the first data set 
which is Riso's reference data. Um, but we've released it in production to the MLS software vendors. So they have all of their MLS customers reports. Um, they're reviewing those. These systems obviously are slightly different. So they're reviewing those. There'll be some you know, tweaks in the meantime, because again, these are member organizations who are all working toward the same cause. And then they're gonna release these to the MLSs to see their own reports, which there's a lot of excitement from the MLS community um, in being able to see these reports and compare their tools. This is not a grading system. It doesn't say these things are good, bad, medium. It's just information because these different organizations have different business needs. Um, what one might need might be different than a different marketplace, but at least they'll have this objective information um, that they can, can use to make decisions about the kinds of um, products they buy. I think one of the most important things we've seen already from this even though this reporting hasn't yet made it out from the vendors to the MLSs, we've seen the vendors improve these products dramatically just as they see their own reports and how those compare to, um, to other systems in the industry. So Rob, you said on a, um, on a previous podcast, you know, speed kills, you were talking about automation. And I think speed wins is sort of, um, you know, the further outcome of that. These, these folks have taken, some of these MLS software tools that feed other MLS products, other broker products, other aggregator products, and scaled up the performance of those tools 10 times faster on one platform, 100 times faster on another platform, because they just didn't know before how those systems compared to the other products in the market. So I think uh, we're going right. to see a lot of those improvements going forward. So I'm not, I mean, I'm actually on the website right now. I, I don't really understand what it does but before that when you said this platform for certification of like what does this do exactly yeah, yeah so I'm, I'm can you give like a real world example i mean yeah. like pick an app you can say cloud cma i mean that's always yeah. the you know i don't want it to be a commercial but what what can a vendor like you know lone wolf or anybody T tell me how I would use this yeah, from, what's vendor, the frustration? from a vendor standpoint and, and, and also like from a, an MLS organization standpoint. Is it, is it an adoption issue? Is it a, is it a, a, you know, a data? I don't know. I mean, you said a lot there, but yeah. I, can you give us a comment? <laughs> I didn't say it very well, so yeah. I'll, I'll try it again from, from this perspective. You said that, not me. <laughs> so, so let's say you're an MLS. You've got a core software platform. But how that so when you say a core software platform, you, you've got your 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 MLS system, your matrix, your core logic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Black. Okay. Yeah, I don't like yeah. naming product names because I miss somebody and then they're upset. There are only three of them, numbers, dude. It does. There are only three of them. Yeah, I'll name names. There are a lot more than that, but I'll, I'll add the, the color. biggest ones. Um, sure. you, you've got a lot of other folks that have core platforms. But really, if you're an aggregator, if you're a lone wolf type company, um, if you're a broker, you're getting your data from the MLS through an API generally. That's what we certify at Reso. Right. The web API, okay. um, every realtor MLS has one of those services. Uh, most of the independent MLSs have those services. Okay. That's the certification we do at Reso to ensure that that data coming out of the MLS to the vendor or to the broker is compliant with standards. So when that data comes out of the API, it's being certified, but as it's being certified, we're looking at that report to see how many fields, resources, do the records line up? Um, you know, how often do agents fill out this field in this kind of a record? Is this green property field being used 1% of the time or 100% of the time? Are people using 
waterfront features 50% of the time. These are things that are going to allow us to use analytics in the future to see what are MLSs really using? What are their vendors using? What are their agents using? So if you look at an MLS, one MLS might have an API from three different vendors. They've got the same data, but they're putting it out through three different technology vendors. So, so that would be like they, they've got Bridge, they've got MLS Grid, right? They're, they're using, you know, or, or some other, you know, some other aggregation method, right? And, and their core software's API and, and, as well. Yeah, and, and, and Matrix. Okay, right? so right. Matrix has API, Bridge uh, has API, Grid has API. Right. Just using those three as examples. Sure. Okay. Yep. And so what does this platform do? This could be one MLS, right? Right, right. So what does the platform do? So each of those APIs gets certified and you get a full report on what the data looks like coming out of that API. Now, if you're Lone Wolf or if you're a broker, you look at that and say, this doesn't match exactly. I've got the same data. Well, why, would at the MLS it level. why would it not match? Because it doesn't. Because but that's you certified the process them. of standardization. Hold it on, you certified be, them. Right, they're, they're compliant. But this is, this is a process of all standards. Standards continually tighten down the bolts tighter right. and tighter, bringing the guardrails tighter and tighter over time. The data is correct and it's compliant with the current standard, but there right. are always these idiosyncrasies across systems that the standard over time has to continue to bring together. So that's the point of okay, these tools. So time out. Yeah, <laughs> I'll ask the vendor, the vendor over sure. here. Yep. Why you guys keep fucking up the standards? Why do you keep introducing these idiosyncrasies? Uh, mostly because of our clients, you know, our, our end clients demand something or there's some sort of thing that is just doesn't match with what the way they want to see something. Right. So um, and, you know, as I like to say, the, the saying in the industry is every MLS is different. Right. So uh, regardless of standards or everything else, I mean, it's it's tough to kind of uh, apply to those. Now, I have no known I'm, I'm not in charge of the, the right. data side of our business. Right. But I mean. No, but here's what I mean by that, guys. Like, I get if you're a big vendor or you're Zillow or whoever, right? You're trying to access data from like 500 MLSs, and every MLS has different rules and different business rules and all of this. So, therefore, you need to figure out how to make it all talk to each other, work together. But you're talking about it coming out of the same MLS, same data set, coming that are all RISO compliant. So, presumably, they're all the same. Like, why would there be idiosyncrasies? So I think one way to think about it is you think about building codes that start out here and every year they get more and more things that they restrict and more and more things that they need. Um, so you could send three building inspectors into the same building mm -hmm. and it would pass all three tests, but their reports would come back looking a little bit different. They'd be formatted a little bit differently. Um, they'd find different things. Some of them would find one thing, some would find another. Um, I think the key is, you know, folks want to think standards are perfection. They're not. They're never perfect. They're always, that's why we had Data Dictionary 1 1.5, 1.6, 1.7, 2.0 is coming in the next year, which is what we call a major breaking change because there are major things to do as we're able to um, report on this transparently. So the frustration that has been out there for brokers and, and data consumers has been, they're having to do this analysis in silos behind closed doors with their customers. And they can't just say, hey, everybody, here's a public report on the still different formatting of some of these things as they're coming through. 
these are the next steps for the standard. And we do that in our standards work groups and through RISO, um, but this will allow us to do it faster and it'll allow the vendors and the brokers and the MLSs to do a lot of it on their own because not everyone's a data analyst. Not everyone has a data team. You may have an MLS that just says, I've got these services, they're not exactly in sync. They do pass the standard. But I don't know how to make the analysis as to why one so product. Give, what's the practical problem there then? Okay, I'm an MLS, mm -hmm. right? I want to run reports on sure. how often agents use waterfront fields. Yeah. That, was, that was the example you brought up. Right. What's the problem? Well, so a couple things. Um, we try not to think in a one MLS, one vendor mindset very often. Sure. So if you're one MLS and you've got three different vendors and one of them puts the waterfront features in this resource and another one puts it over in this resource, well, now I've got a little bit of mapping to do when I get data out of these systems, right? But they're pulling data out of my system, right? Why am I pulling? Like that's the part. I'm the MLS. I have the data. The APIs are taking data out of my system to sure, somewhere else. Sure. But they have to Why pull it I out and reformat it as it goes out. Remember, the core MLS systems in right. general are not standardized. The core MLS databases, in, in most cases, are not standardized. They were built a long time ago in proprietary ways. And so these APIs are the layer that normalizes them on top of that. So when the APIs normalize, they normalize to the standard. And again, you always are tightening down those screws on the standard. Every time we find a little inconsistency, then we have to tighten up that standard even more. So from the MLS's perspective, it allows them to objectively so, see where those differences are and it's so maybe I, I, i'm gonna have to ask the obvious question here why don't you just normalize the core systems well that's not up to us why uh, is it up to you you're the standard organization you're sure you're, well some of the members MLS are mls's if the mls's went to their vendors say hey guys a standardized his goddamn database wouldn't they do that some of them have yeah, some of them so, have. But so that's not, that's not go ahead <laughs> let's have an mls can i go to reso.org right and find here are the vendors whose core database are reso compliant and standardized so we don't certify the core database okay why um, don't you that's what i'm getting do, at like, that, that seems to be the need here right well so that's what, that's a that, that's a that's their own tech stack i mean right i don't think any other any organization can go in and say you know reformat your core tech stack i mean that that could be millions of dollars, right? I mean, they could put a layer on it to make it, to to give it an output of standards. But I mean, to to I, I, I don't know, man. Like XML is XML. You know, your course keys like stack is XML. Like if you're part of the standards organization, now you could layer on some stuff on top of it, right? Like here's the the, the core that we're that's all standard driven, and everyone's the same here. But you know, we're gonna add this layer on over here that's outside. Like I've seen that, right? But so we're, we're not an enforcement body in that sort of a way. Um, our membership's goal has not been to tell tech companies how to build their internal tech systems. It's been, if you can produce an output that meets okay. the standard so your customers can see an output with the standard that they want, then you can do what you need to do internally with your system. Some of those MLSs have done what's called native data dictionary databases on their system. Yeah. But generally those systems are proprietary and not necessarily standardized so they transform that data so that their customers get the standardized output and that's been the directive of our membership okay so there seems to be two different things here right there's 
the API, the web API data coming from the core system, from the MLS, from Matrix, from Flex MLS, from Paragon, from whatever. And then there's the aggregators like uh, MLS Grid, Bridge, whatever, and then what they output, right? So there's those two different layers. So is this analytics thing that you've, are, is it for both? Is it for just the last one? Um, what, what is it meant to, to analyze? Mm -hmm. So for anyone with a web API service, so it could be that core MLS providers web API service. It could be a downstream aggregator who produces its own web API service for their data consumers. Um, we're pretty close to being able to certify any, um, any technology system that can output data dictionary data. It doesn't have to be a web API service. We've really got all the guts of that ready to go. It's just, there's a standards process to make sure that everybody um, you know, buys into that. It's just the way the standards models work. Um, but that'll be kind of the next chapter is, even if you're not providing a web API service to brokers, um, if you've got a system that's compliant, we can certify that it's data dictionary compliant and that'll allow more organizations. We have actually um, MPAC in Ontario, the uh, assessment organization, which I think is the biggest property records organization in uh, North America, at least the, from the assessment side. Um, they've got a transformation layer where they can output data dictionary compliant data. We've got a system that can certify that. We have to go through the process of ratifying that testing, et cetera, but that'll be on the road. Well, it is on the roadmap. That'll be a certification process in the future here as well. So then you see, so you, you got this stuff up, you, you listed up there. I can see it from, from your, from your organization standpoint. Well, people are really having trouble. They're not really doing uh, patios the same, right? Right. You know, in in Florida, it's different than it is in Hawaii, than it is in California. I mean, are you looking for ways of like looking for 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 clues of improving the way you do that? I mean, what from from the from your standpoint, from from a, a, a standards organization standpoint, what is this analytical data going to give you? Yeah. So the first thing is to get transparency on it, get sunlight on what everything looks like, so the smartest minds in the industry can see what it all looks like, as opposed to trying to have to dig into each different silo and make their own comparisons. So that's really the first step with this platform. So is that like a shaming? It's like, oh, look at Bridges doing. Well, you know, sunlight is what it is. Um, it's the best disinfectant, they say, and it's not intended to harm or shame anyone. It's just objective information. Um, and so the biggest complaint we get from data consumers is, this field is the same thing, but it's done three different ways across four different MLSs. And if it's not in the data dictionary yet, then that's a custom local field here. As you said, Lanai in Hawaii is patio in California. Um, there's, there's a way that you can standardize the field in the background so data consumers can get it the way they want to. And then if your local customers want to call it Lanai, well, you put that advertising layer on top of that. You put a label on top of it in your systems. But what we didn't have before as an industry is all of the MLS's local custom fields that they're using, which is RISO compliant. You don't have to have everything in the industry in the data dictionary, but we do want to be able to show brokers in particular what those local custom fields look like across markets, because we know probably a lot of those match. Um, you've probably got something in Kentucky that matches something in Louisiana that both of these MLS is created on their own. Because the process for creating new fields 
in a lot of MLS is, is our board said we want a new field, vendor put it in. Um, the vendors are very aware of what's in the data dictionary, but they may not know that Kentucky already is using this field and Louisiana is putting it in and we're just changing it by one letter um, and therefore creating this inconsistency for brokers. So this is really a, a chance to expose not just standardized data, but what all the custom local fields look like across the entire industry. And then we can do this big data analysis to say, hey, these match across these MLSs. Let's add that to the data dictionary. These are all slightly different, but they're really the same thing. Let's add that to the data dictionary. And we haven't been able to expose all of that in a transparent fashion before, but we can do that now. Okay. That, I, I'm getting, I'm, it makes a little nah. more sense to me. I, it doesn't make that much sense, but you know, it's like, all right, whatever. I mean, like, cause right off the bat, man, what, what that says to me is this is irrelevant to like 95% of brokers out there. Uh, I think it's critically important to 95% of brokers out there, which is why they're so vocal and pushing no, for about, it. No, I, I, here's what I mean by that. 95% of brokers work in like one county. Sure. Right. <clears throat> in one MLS. Technology. They don't need to know what's happening in Kentucky versus Louisiana. They don't need to know, except that when they go to a conference and they see a new technology tool and they say, hey, my broker over in that state's using this tool and it's great, I want to use it. And the vendor says, well, it's going to take us six months to get up and running in your market because everything's custom mapped. Um, they don't necessarily need to know that the technology standards that make startups able to scale quickly and easily and make national companies able to build more efficient products across different marketplaces that all these small brokers use and buy, they don't need to know why that works. They just I, I, they take a step back, though. Why would it take six months for that startup to get going in Kentucky? Greg? Yeah, I mean, what he's saying is true. I mean, from I think it was somebody, one of the brokers from stage said exactly that scenario. It's like the, the one thing he doesn't like what happens at Inman is that is all his agents go to Inman, they see all this cool stuff and they go back, I want to try this, I want to try that, and they can't because uh, many times it's difficult to launch their their products in an MLS because of Why? either A, um, uh, they don't have the, the, the correct uh, ways of getting data and two permissioning, right? And let's not go down the permissioning standpoint. Right. No, let's go down that's that permissioning standpoint, right? Because that's my point. Like if you have standards and this division of RISO, you have standards, you have APIs that output <clears throat> RISO compliant API, the data, right? Then this MLS should be outputting RISO compliant API data, right? But, but, as, but as Sam is saying, they're... You know, this is not a binary thing. Sometimes, you know, there's there's these. It's fuzzy on the edges, and you gotta and you gotta tighten that focus as much as you can. And I think what he's saying is, by putting all this in the sunlight, we can say, oh, you know what? No, I I get it. I'm I'm drilling it down to. I'm a broker. I I have one office in one county in Kentucky. Right. I went to Inman. I saw this cool app. I say, hey, app uh, tech vendor, I want to buy it. And the app vendor tells me. I, I'm sorry, it'll take six months and you guys aren't big enough for me to take that effort, right? I mean, that's literally the scenario you guys just presented right. me with. So, except, yeah, me, wait, hold on. Except that yeah. this Kentucky MLS is on Matrix. They output an API that is web, RISO, web, RISO <laughs> compliant. What's the difficulty? Why is it taking six months? Yeah, so a couple things. Um, and I think, you know, Greg alluded to it, but um, we had 
Coldwell Banker CEO Ryan Gorman on stage at Inman, and he said building technology. But, but, some, but Coldwell Banker Ryan, Ryan Gorman is a national company. I'm but, talking but about you the said it's 95 percent of brokers. Yeah, um, the big companies represent Banker. a large portion of agents. So that's one thing. <laughs> one one thing. So, but but in terms of numbers, so most MLSs have been using the old standard called RETS, and that's what they continue to put out to their customers um, as a default. Sorry. So um, the old standard of RETS, which Riso has not supported for years, we don't certify, we don't test on. Sure. Um, it's basically unstandardized at this stage. Sure. Um, that has been the default data feed that MLSs and their software vendors have given to brokers because it is what it is and it's locked into systems. Um, about 18 months ago, even though every MLS essentially has a web API service, less than 5% of the customer's data feeds were web API. The MLSs were still giving RETS feeds to their customers in more than 95% of cases because the customers weren't necessarily asking for it. Some of them were. Um, in the last 18 months, we've gone from less than 5% to about 25% of the subscribers in the industry now getting web API feeds, which is actual standardized data. And that is only because the MLS organizations who had the will to do that got in and did the dirty work and worked with their customers to make that transition happen. So we're in that phase still of not just having a web API service, but then the MLS is taking the initiative to convert their customers and to get rid of the old RET servers and move across. And that's some pretty huge so, progress in 18 out. months, so, but there's still out. a long way to go. Okay, fine. Time out. So what you just described then is this MLS Kentucky is not RESO certified. All you need is a certified service. So you have a certified service. That's what is required of NAR MLSs, of Realtor MLSs, is to have a certified service. So you have a okay, service so that's certified. Fine. What percentage of MLSs mean? What percentage of MLSs are certified? Uh, more than 90%. More than 90%. Okay, because chances are this. So chances are this broker in the middle of Kentucky with this MLS, right, is belongs to a certified MLS, right? Okay. Chances are, yes. Why is it taking six months for the vendor to launch an app in that market? Uh, it's usually not the vendor. The vendor can do the work, um, but the vendor and the MLS have to take the initiative to convert their customers from the old feeds to the new feeds. But this is a brand new customer. This is a brand new broker, went to Inman, saw an app. The yep. app's like, cool. Hey, what, what MLS are you with? I'm with so-and-so MLS. Well, they're certified. I should be able to get it up and running in a week, right? Not, not you're, with you're, the governance you're, you're licensing muted. issues, which we don't necessarily need to talk about, yeah, the committee yeah. processes and boards. But, but, but is, there, is there a way? I mean, when you're certified, Sam, and this may yeah. have changed, that doesn't mean that you are also offering it out to vendors. Uh, you have to have that service available in production to be certified. Okay, that's if good. If you get certified right. and you don't offer it, then you can't carry your certification. That's part of the right. declaration you make when you get certified. Now, the difference is, are you proactively pushing your customers onto that? Most customers probably don't know the difference between RETS and Web API, or they've got a technology system that's built and tuned for this old RETS feed, and it's working in quotes. For the folks who are not on video, then they should it. not be in business going forward because you know we have web APIs. And, like in other words, I think what we're getting down to is this, and this is what I'm trying to point out. Right, it's the topic you guys don't want to talk about. It's really all about permissioning. Right, 
that this local MLS in the middle of Kentucky, the vendor comes in, hey, one of your brokers wants to implement our system, your web API or whatever, you're RISO certified, we're RISO certified, send us the data and we can make this happen in a week. The MLS takes six months to make the decision whether to grant them the permission. I mean, am I wrong about that? Uh, in those situations, as when I was a broker, um, I would have had a much more negative tone to this conversation. Um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm much more optimistic now. I, I see the movement happening. I, I, I get it, man. I, I, what I'm asking is because I'll ask the vendor. I'll, like, I'll, I'll leave you off. The, am I wrong? Like, is, is the problem not that you just simply cannot get permission to access the data? I mean, I've written about this, you know, a billion times. I mean, permissioning right. is, is, is just... Is, it, that's know. the issue, right? It, in other words, it isn't as if you're the vendor, this broker in Kentucky comes to you and says, I, wanna, I want uh, Cloud CMA, right? And you go, cool. The MLS says, cool, here's a permission. And then you take six months because... Right? Because the data yeah, doesn't... You know, but, but, but let's not, I mean... <clears throat> That's what I'm trying to figure out. What's the problem here? The problem here is not the the data certification. The problem you, is you're, you're talking about 2022, right? So right. there have been problems, a lot of problems, as far as you know, the guys in the garage getting uh, an app up and running in an MLS. Sam's work and the people before him have done tremendous. I, I agree. I know. To make that thing, and it continues to go, and that is an ongoing effort, and we should support anything that's going on there, right? Um, there hasn't been, uh, well, not there has been, the, the permissioning side of things has been a bit slower, for sure, right? And what, what happens is it's mostly a problem with the smaller MLSs, right? So sure. we have 585, you know, I say this probably once a day to somebody, there's 585 MLSs and 400 of those MLS have less than 400 members apiece. That means that the person who is managing the IDX feeds or the valve feeds or whatever feeds they are also is probably doing accounting and maybe answering the phone, right? So there's not a lot of process in place there. Plus, those MLSs, if you think about it, with 400 members or less, um, are a bit more xenophobic, uh, if I'll use a, a term like that, I, I than know. others. They don't want... I know. They don't like the outliers coming I in, know. city guys coming into that. I know. Um, so there's a there's a there's a there's a cultural thing that goes along with that. But they are important because as brokers expand and want to expand, they start in the big areas, but then they go to the smaller areas. So it does become part of these larger networks. So they are still a, even though it's a long tail in in any vendor's place. If you if you land a large broker, you're 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 gonna go outside of those top you know. Uh, top 75 MLSs that account to 1.3 million agents, right? So, you know, consolidation has been helping. I think consolidation is probably the biggest thing to help is they go on to that, right? Um, they just become part of a larger organization that has the resources to do that, right? Um, but they are really two distinct issues. I don't think Sam can't comment on permissioning be the things. He's got to work on the things that he can control. I get it. And, but, but you and, and I can comment on permissioning. Well, you can, but let's highlight the other side of that too, um, because there's a lot of MLSs who have um, very intentionally made that process simpler, smoother. They've got a um, highly empowered staff who can make decisions on data access processes, move things quickly um, because they know exactly what's within their rules and what's not. Um, you know, a lot of them are, are working with CMLS on best practices for data access, for documentation, um, all the things that'll make these decisions when they're obvious decisions 
easy for staff to be able to implement and not have to wait on committees and volunteers. So there's a lot of progress there. And again, when we talk about the largest MLSs, that's where you see a lot of the progress. Now, there are some small, very progressive, um, very effective MLSs as well. So there's a lot of improvement happening there. Um, you know, things don't move as quickly in this industry as most of us would like, but um, there's a lot of just very well-documented improvement and processes to move that along. And it's just, as Greg said, taking these organizations who are very, very short on resources and helping them along as well. I guess what I'm getting at is, believe me, this is not to not support Riso. Obviously, I support Riso. Like anything you guys could do is better. I'm simply pointing out, okay, you launch this analytics platform, you do the next thing, you do whatever data dictionary. The whole premise behind Riso was <clears throat> we have a, a standard, right? And we have uh, transport mechanisms that are standardized. So therefore, if I'm a developer and I built a product and a broker from Kentucky comes to me and says, I would like to buy a product, it will be much easier, right? Because all that, I'm already standards compliant, right? My product is Riso compliant. The MLS is Riso compliant. The API is Riso compliant. It should be plug and play. I mean, that's the whole premise behind it. My point is simply, when you look at it, what is stopping that, what's causing the six months of delay, is not standards. It's permissioning. It's bullshit, right? And it could be because they're small. It could be because they're political. It could be because they're xenophobic. It could be whatever, right? But I, I'm, all I'm suggesting is that it's necessary for us, at least as an industry relations podcast, recognize it's not Riso fucking up and not putting in standards that don't work, right? It's MLSs taking too goddamn long and injecting all this other stuff that doesn't need to be there. Like, am well, I critical? The critical thing is that we do the work that we need to do if right. before any governance processes, um, you know, speed up on the other side. We tune right. the Ferrari up in the garage and sure. when they're ready to open the door, great, but it needs to be tuned up at that point. So here's a question. Have you guys ever thought about making uh, approval process and timeline part of RISO certification? Um, or CMLS certification? Something, some organization. Like well, if you get a request- policy really, right? Yeah, I mean, but it's like, it's if, it's if, you get, if you get a request, general. you must approve within 48 hours or, or you're decertified. I mean, has anyone thought about doing something I mean, like that? NAR has policies like you must give a response on an IDX um, request within, I think it's five business days. And right. CMLS would be the ones to weigh in on that okay. sort of a kind of governance or well, not even governance, but you know, policy. It, there's certainly times when RISO has commented on policy when it directly affects a data standard or process. Um, but that's been through these other channels through CMLS and NAR. And, you know, that, that sounds like something that's really NAR heavy there. Yeah. All right. So let's go, let's just circle back, right? So you've announced this kind of platform where you're going to be able to grab analytics from all the different feeds out there. What do you, I mean, what would be like, a big win for, for, you know, by, by doing this, what do you think would be the biggest win or a couple wins from, from that, that we, we discover what in that? So um, here's what members are asking for right now. They've seen the platform, they're geeking out on it. They're asking us for new features and tools on top of it already. So um, the MLS is, what, what are they asking for? That yeah, so the MLS is asking for a provider alignment tool. Show me a report about how my data looks slightly differently formatted when it comes out of this API versus that API versus this API. Because we want to talk to our vendors about that. And again, get more alignment on just the formatting. It's not 
uh, is compliant with the standard, but then everybody builds their technology slightly differently. Um, the brokers have asked for um, consumer alignment tools so that they can look at all the MLSs they work in, pull down a report and say, these are the fields that exist across the 45 MLSs that I work in that I know are already consistent. And I can just pull down that report, know that I can build a website, build a tool, build an app for my customers. And I don't even have to think about mapping because I know these MLSs all have these fields that match. And the ones um, that don't match, they could ask why, right? Sure, sure. It's, it's a good way to do it. But again, this is the whole point of this is to give people visibility into what they can build before they go through the process of governance and licensing and, um, and then realizing, wow, we've got a lot of work to do. Give them an idea and their tech people can be building earlier in the process. Um, we've also been asked for market alignment tools, which would be um, all of the MLSs that overlap each other in the same marketplace. How do those align? Because we've got alliances of MLSs who are doing data shares and other things who um, can do the work themselves. But if we've already got the data, if we've already got this from a nationwide perspective, they should be able to jump in there and, and move this kind of information around. So um, everybody's looking for ways to solve the overlapping market issues. I mean, that's what we always come back to. Overlapping markets, overlapping MLSs, overlapping vendors. Um, how do we allow someone who wants to come into this region, that region, nationwide, or maybe just two MLSs that happen to be in the same city and immediately be able to access and build tech without wading through long, long processes and then trying to figure it out on their own. And also faster. Speed wins. <laughs> and these things are getting a lot faster. Greg is dying over there, so. <laughs> <laughs> no, just uh, something in my throat there. No, okay, great. So I think to me, I, I can definitely see, you know, just, it's just to me fascinating to see how, 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 other vendors are doing i mean it seems like it'd be like i go back to what rob says why don't they just do it the way it's supposed to be done but i think in exposing the way it's there are these little differences maybe we'll discover something that'll even make it even faster right but um and i think that's your job you're supposed to fine-tune as you said this ferrari whether or not they're going to open the goddamn garage door is not you know not your concern um, am, am i let me let me throw something out here am i crazy that maybe the best way of doing this is the MLSs, uh, you know, with their their native whatever tech platforms that are all written differently? Because you guys don't want to do, you know, you want to you don't want to dictate kind of the core platform data standards or anything like that. <clears throat> they should all just kind of send their data to Riso, and then Riso should just put out an API. Um, that while it's an efficient idea. Our membership does not want us competing with them and their products. So in general, that's not something we would do. But Let alone, we'd have to go products, get the license right? from everyone as well. But so that's my point. You're not building products. You're just creating the data pipeline. There, there are products that are data pipelines, though. Okay, well, they should go away. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously, they should go away. I mean, if... Because it, it's like any any major thing. Like, if there's some company that's got like, hey, we create HTML standards or you know, uh, Apache web server standards, like you're, you no longer have a business because the world needs a single standard and it's going to be, you know, done by one entity. Like find a different business. 
I mean, am I am I crazy about well, that? But, but, but there's some value add you can you can add to those services. It can be contract. So take take the take the resale API and then do your add value add on top of it. I mean, what am I missing? So we're, we're not going to output MLS's data. Um, that's just not with, with the intent of our membership, right. our board. Nobody's interested in, interested in us being the actual API for the MLS's data to outsiders. This. What we've agreed upon is this: there's a huge benefit to the standard of have having this aggregated, um, you know, metadata, which is essentially what this reporting is. It tells you where the fields are, sure. who's using them, but not sure. what the property records are. So um, it may be it's an interesting idea. It's not something that'll ever happen. I would say at Reso. Now, if I look, I'm just over- trying to make Reso more powerful. That's yeah. all. You know. <laughs> if I look at like, and this ties in a little bit. If I look at the, you know what you've done over there and you know others but you know i think there was a little bit of issue like what does certification mean and you guys kind of tighten that up and 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 did some things obviously um you know there's a lot more interest in in rezo and i just people are more prepared for it now um you've done a good job with that but when do you go and say listen the ferrari's ready we're done here We've, you know, you said 90% or whatever, whatever metric in your head going, okay, we've got the major MLS vendors going, we got the third party vendors are all in tune and we're, we're lockstep with them. Um, we've got this, these analytics that tell us how to make what's going on and what's, what's going right, what's going wrong and how to fix those and tighten the, as you say, tighten the bolts. We've done what we've, we've done what we can industry, right? And then and then, then it becomes like, you know, with Rob saying permissioning or what other things, when do you say you're kind of like, hey, man, you know, on my side of the fence, we've done as, as much as we can here. Now we need some movement on your side of the fence. When, are you close to that? Are you far away from that? Is it, I mean, is it, is it, is it, a, is, is that target moving, right? That, that, you know, where would you say in your head you are that with, 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 with Riza? Well, I mean, again, I'd say we're not an enforcement body. We have, you know, volunteer member organizations who decide to get certified on their own. Um, so I think, you know, again, going back to transparency, um, we just continue to do a better job of showing people what's there and where it's being utilized. And you'll see part of that in, um, you know, we were sort of having fun with t- with, with the old RET standard, calling it T-RETs, the dinosaur technology. Well, we put these things out publicly. We publish this. We talk about it in conferences. We've got it on the website. And, you know, there's carrot and stick approaches. We don't do a whole lot of stick approach at resale. Um, It's mostly carrots. And when we highlight the MLSs who are leading the charge, some of them are very large um, MLSs with significant resources. Some of them are very small. I'll give a shout out to Greater McAllen Realtors, um, smaller association in MLS that converted 100% of their customers over to um, to web API. You can um, Google T-Rats countdown to extinction. Um, we've got them all listed on the website. So some of this stuff just wasn't um, easily accessible in the past. Um, a certification before was a checkbox. Um, mm-hmm. The tests were done. Um, in the past, we tested the metadata, which is just the advertisement on the server. The server says it's got this. We test it. Um, now, again, we go in and we test thousands and thousands of records on every system to ensure they're in compliance as well. And then these reports from what the data set looks like for all of us to see. 
and these reports on how many customers have actually been converted in MLSs to Web API is now out there for everyone to see. And you can hear um, in the conversations with MLSs, it's no longer are we going to convert our customers to Web API, it's what's the date. We've got to set a date because all of the MLSs who have been successful in this have said our board needs to set a date, tell all of our customers we're we need moving. Yeah. Got to have a deadline. Yeah. And that is kind of the, the storyline carrying those MLS conversions of customers now is deadline and communications because they're not going to hear it the first three times you say it. And some of them aren't going to believe you. And you don't want to get to the stage where you have to cut off their data feed. But as the MLSs tell us, for the last few straggling vendors, often that's what gets noticed. Um, and, and they're having great success with that. But it takes willpower um, from the MLS organizations to, to do that work. And the leaders are showing that. Again, big and small MLSs are showing that willpower. Um, and we'll just keep transparently showing the industry what the state is and giving kudos and stage time to the leaders. All right. All I, I, I was just interested in trying to make me so powerful, you know, to, uh, you know, to be the, the, the fountain. Right. We are a, a non-profit <laughs> organization built for a cause, and we know what our cause is. So Bob wants the sword in their hand. He wants, he wants reason to chop some heads off. No, but here's the thing. Like that's been my stance, and I get that I'm way more aggressive than the people who are in charge. You know, for CMLS as well, right? Like I've always thought CMLS should pick a side. Are you for large MLS or are you for small? And if you're for large, then you should be encouraging the large to go gobble up the small. You know, it's it's sort of that simple. Are they going to do that? Probably not. There are lots of reasons why they can't. I wanted Riso to be a much more powerful organization that could sort of dictate. Here's the standard. Get with it. Or get the fuck out. You know, I wanted I wanted Riso to have that counterpart because it that's actually what we need to sort of really advance this ball forward, right? And that's where I'm at. You know, but again, I'm just a random dude, you know, with a with a podcast with the fabulous Greg Robertson. So you know whose, whose quotes get picked up in news articles very regularly um, based <laughs> on his positions. Um, you know, without agreeing with with what you've said necessarily there, um, I think one point you have made recently is, you know, we have to do things that make us uncomfortable still. Um, we should always have a little bit of discomfort in our businesses. And, well, you know, you've talked recently about, um, you know, not being able to accept the realities of what may be changing in the industry, how fast we may have to move to, um, to continue to be successful and competitive. And, um, and, you know, if, if you're not, experiencing some discomfort in your business, unless you're the founder and owner, you're probably not necessarily doing everything you need to with your members or your investors money. You, your company should be sure. experiencing some discomfort um, and some uncertainty at all times. And, you know, really looking at what do we need to do and what are the logical extremes of the changes happening in our industry that we need to analyze. And you and I come to different conclusions a lot on that, Rob, I but know. it's still a critical sort of analysis for any so, any organization to have to be pushing those edges so, a little bit at all times. So let me bring this back to kind of what you said, like, you know, you began this talking about like how Greg and I talked about speed kills and you thought in this case, the speed is going to help accelerate things, but I'm going to go bring it back to speed kills in this fashion. All right. So what I'm hearing and the general theme of a lot of this discussion is 
you have these members, you have vendors, MLSs, you know, they're all kind of like trying to figure stuff out and how do we do this in the most whatever, you know, efficacious way while maintaining kind of our existing businesses and the existing protocols and blah, blah, blah. And we're going to give these vendors time and set a deadline, blah, blah, blah. And it's the assumption to me seems to be that you guys have all this time to make this decision. The thing that Greg and I've been talking about for, I don't know, a year, right? This like asteroid hitting and all this stuff. Reso, CMLS, all of these things about vendors, all this stuff literally goes away if we end up with one national MLS. Yes? Um, you guys agree? If there's one national MLS. Before I'll ever say yes after you say <laughs> one national MLS. I'm just, if there's one MLS for the entire country, we don't need Reso, we don't need CMLS, we don't need any of this stuff because there's one MLS, right? I'm not going to say right to that. I'm, I'm not walking into some sort okay, of a trap fine. about one national. My point is simply the is, utility that you've talked about is that yeah, the MLS or CoStar, you know, becomes the the residential MLS the way it is in commercial side. I mean, these things are not ten years out. Is my point right? So the reason why I raise this is the speed kills thing cuts on the way of decision making as well. Right. So it's when you and your members, your the MLSs or the vendors get together at conferences that we just talked about how to survive. Like one of the things you got to at least think about is how much time do we have to make the progress we need to make so that we don't end up with one national MLS? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, and I, what I'm suggesting simply is, you know, I don't think you have 20 years, right? I don't think the industry has 20 years. I think we have to make these changes sooner rather than later. And if that means you got to make some sacrifice along the way, then I'm suggesting that they do because the timeline, the speed of change is much faster than I think a lot of people imagine that it is. That's yeah, all I'm but, saying. But I'm saying, but I think Sam is exactly doing that. I mean, the brokers are brokers have problems with working with MLSs and the data. He's yes. trying to make that simpler. I know, bro. That, I'm so trying that, to make Riso more powerful. I know. I'm trying to give. Yeah. And I mean, here's the thing. I, I'm doing this yeah. because Sam can't go out there and say these things. So you and I need to say, you need to right. give Sam more power. In his purview, what he controls, he's doing a fantastic job. Of, of what course he, he is. Right? I mean, <laughs> it's not. And, and, and they're aligned with what you're saying. I mean, if, yes. if, if we can get brokers to agree, oh, you know what? It used to be, it used to be really bad, but it's gotten better. Ho holy hell that's great right greg. but there's only a certain thing that he can control that that nar can control and everybody else can control right greg what i literally this is my saying to reso membership the mls and the brokers to give sam more power give sam an axe okay right, right. to get to give sam and cms all these organizations more power to make more sacrifices because y'all don't have the time to dick around for years and years and years. Right. I think that's I think, what I'm doing. Because you're right, Sam's doing a great job. You know, I think, I think we why came don't up, we have him on if, if we thought he was doing a terrible job? Right? I, with, a great again, job. without um, cutting off the one MLS conversation at the beginning of this, um, I, but certainly, um, I think from a broker perspective, faster, faster, faster would you know be the um, the intent and the philosophy. Um, you've got to work um at the speed that your partners are comfortable working with um again i i think there's needs to be a slight level of discomfort and change at all times but at the same time um you can't just take a non-profit organization and ram everything you through want through other organizations um doesn't work that way so um any way that we can work with all the organizations in the industry to affect that feeling of um, let's move quickly together because the industry is changing really quickly right now. 
um, for the benefit of our, our customers, our members, right. then let's, let's speed those things up where we can. All right. Uh, I got to tell you guys, I'm surprised we got this much interesting conversation out of, uh, Resale analytics platform. I, th I thought for sure we were going to be bored to tears talking about data <laughs> certification, but it turns out this is super interesting. <laughs> yeah, sure. I, I know. I'm not sure. I think our audience is a little bit smaller than this, but not much. I think we've got the 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 right podcast. We do. <laughs> we do. So. Uh, Listen, uh, I, it's not like any of our audience doesn't know where to find you, but just in case, if people want to find you, Sam, where do they find you? Where do they find this platform? Uh, where do they find Riso? Yeah, it's Sam at Riso.org. You can email me directly um, and certification.riso.org. Um, like cool, I said, cool. right now, you'll just see Riso's data there. But as the MLS software providers release those to the MLSs and they accept those reports, you'll see the entire industry's data map pop up there. Fantastic. And we'll, we'll put those links into the show notes for uh, YouTube anyway. So, all right, gentlemen, we started off talking about don't go hard on the first night and we ended with uh, let's let's give uh, Sam dictatorial powers. So <laughs> I think that's pretty good for the topic that we decided. I, I hope all the podcast listeners who are not on YouTube can hear me laughing the entire time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thanks, guys. And thanks, everyone, for uh, if you stuck with us through this point. And since you have stuck with us through this point, uh, if you're on YouTube, consider hitting that subscribe button so we could keep growing that number. Smash right. that like button. That's right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Thanks.